Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? Oh, it's going pretty good. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing all right. It's episode 81. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to break down the archetypes in Empire of Glass. Yes, so, sir. How was your draft week, Cats? Real good. Uh, this format, uh, this set, suits me quite well. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm winning a lot. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, I'm experimenting boldly uh, and trying things uh, trying archetypes and draft strategies uh, that are new to me, and they are mostly paying off. Definitely have had a couple of train wrecks, but for the most part, uh, trying to do wacky things uh, seems to work <laughs> because wackiness is rewarded uh, in this set, thanks to the strong synergies between a lot of cards. Um, the fact that some of the tribal themes are so strong um, and... Uh, and just the overall uh, different approach to crafting the format that I think Direwolf took this time uh, as compared to the last time. Uh, also, a lot of the cards, especially the commons, are more complicated than usual, which means more interesting decisions during the game. And uh, and I enjoy that. I think that's I think that's a lot of fun. So uh, I'm having a great time, really enjoying this format. How are you doing? How was your draft week? Uh, my draft week has been okay, I guess. Uh, I think if we said weak, it would be pretty pretty weak because I haven't drafted that much in this past week. But everything you said does resonate with me. Um, this the the commons and uncommons in this set do have a lot of words on them. <laughs> <laughs> that is another way of putting it. <laughs> and uh, and I've been really just trying to get us with not being able to have played as much this week really trying to get a grasp on this format and having a little bit of trouble because sort of just looking at it on paper it's a very confusing format to me so i'm hoping uh this episode clears some things up for me like uh one of the one of the main questions i've been having or the two the two main questions that i've been having and hoping to get a clearer answer on are one like how hard are we supposed to go down this tribal route mm-hmm. and or or are we supposed to view the tribal stuff more as like pockets of synergy or like mini packages in our decks while we're still just sort of drafting good decks and good you know good overall decks with a plan and then we just have these little tribal synergies in the deck and then the other question i had is like related to that is just like I have no idea where to pick some of these the multicolored uncommons like like are those supposed to, are you supposed to pick them early and then go hard into the tribes or are you supposed to pick them late when you are already in the tribe kind of thing yeah, those are good questions, um, and I don't think that there are simple answers. Um, I haven't figured out how to draft the set yet. I'm having a lot of success, but that's partly because I'm 
changing strategies all the time and reevaluating cards. Uh, as I was telling you before we started recording, I have underestimated so many cards in this set. And then I saw a good player using them, realized how effective they would be, and then tried it for myself and was pleasantly surprised. More than any other set, like I wasn't I didn't really understand uh, the potential of a lot of the a lot of the commons for uh, especially. And uh, and I don't know. Um, I, I've tried taking those multicolor on commons, uh, Deathwing, that kind of thing, uh, really early, and then trying to force a deck around them. And it, it's kind of up to chance if you try to do that. Even something like Amplify, which has a lot of, uh, it seems like it has a lot of payoffs. Like there's a lot of play playable Amplify cards. I've had drafts where I've I've first picked like where my first five picks are cards that need Amplify, and I'm like, okay, I'm set. Every Amplify card I take from now on is going to be gold, and then I don't see any for the rest of the draft, so it's still a risk. Yeah, I agree. That's what's been confusing. You know, like, I think the tribe that most stands out for me is Mandrakes, where it's the uncommon gold cards are really strong, all the uncommons and mandrakes are really strong and the commons are a lot weaker. And so it's like really hard for me to conceptualize how you get into that deck without just being very lucky. Like, and I've had a couple drafts where, you know, my first three picks, I just like passed like the really good, you know, it was like two of, um, it might've even been two of the Xenon mandrake, um, the uncommon one. Yeah, the one that turns them all deadly. Yeah, and I was just like, well, I'm not ready to commit to Mandrakes. And then, you know, I passed I pass two or three of them early, and then it's like, well, now I feel like I can no longer get into the Mandrake deck even. <laughs> if, like, then, or I guess, then the common Mandrakes don't, like, pull me into the deck further, even if Mandrakes are open, really. And then I'm like, well, I guess I should have just, like, taken a flyer like if i had taken a flyer on my first three picks on these strong mandrake uncommons then i would be set but instead i took like quote unquote boring pick which made it feel impossible to get into mandrakes for me yeah um yeah i've had that experience as well uh the last seven win draft i posted to our discord was in fact uh basically a mandrake deck mostly found and I got into it because I was seeing, I saw a root rip or something like fourth or fifth. And I thought, well, that's probably a signal. <laughs> or else people are vastly underestimating a card that can instantly transform any other unit <laughs> into a 3-3, which is an incredibly powerful thing to put on a card. Uh, and then there's more text on it after that. <laughs> oh, see, that, it's funny you say that. Because I played that card exactly the opposite, where uh -huh. I played it for the plus one attack and overwhelm. Yeah. And then every time I had it in one of my decks, and every time I played it, I got confused on why it was asking me to target a unit. Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, oh, I should have thought about this more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially if, because it's not an optional ability. If there's only one other unit on the board, you got to transform it. Which means if you have, you know, uh, if you have a shoal dredger, you've got a seven six on the board, and it's the only thing on the board, and you play your root ripper, you messed up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So luckily nothing that bad happened, but there were a couple times where I could have like put out a one, one or something to turn into a three, three. And then just like was yeah. totally oblivious to that. <laughs> to the yeah. Summit. Yeah. I, I think I, I understand why people are still uh, are underestimating root ripper. I should just read what the card is. These are all new cards to people. Uh, it's a, uh, a four primal primal um, mandrake. Uh, it's a two two. Uh, its summon ability is turn is transform another unit into a three three mandrake, and then when it attacks, all mandrakes you control get pl- uh, plus one strength and overwhelm permanently. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think because there's so much text on it, it's a little hard to tell immediately what it is and like what its main purpose is. Um, but then when you realize that it has uh, this amazing versatility of uh, upgrading one of your own units or downgrading one of your opponent's units, and then every time it attacks, it's a nightmare for your opponent, uh, then you realize that it's like basically an uncommon that should not be going fifth. And if it does, I'm getting into Mandrakes. Yes. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know, the, the other thought I had... It, it's kind of interesting that you frame this. Um, you mentioned the one drop thing too, because I was listening to a, a magic podcast this um, past week, Lords Limited, and they were talking about uh, Zendikar Rising, and um, which is the current draft format that will soon be changing in Magic. And Zendikar Rising was also a tribal set, and had really, really good one drops. I guess I I didn't play it, but that's what they were talking about is how good the one drops were in that set. And um, one of the things that not apropos of that, but, um, but one of the things I was thinking about is I wonder if this format's going to be trickier to draft because it's asynchronous because like, I can't imagine that, whatever algorithm is giving you your draft packs is taking into account tribal stuff as compared. Almost certainly it's just going by faction. If that's how it in fact operates. And unlike a, a live magic draft where, you know, if it's a tribal set, then people can say, Oh, Mandrakes is cut or you can like cut Mandrakes. You can't really do that. And there's so much color overlap in this set between all the tribes. I wonder if that's going to... That's making me lean towards the fact that tribal decks are actually going to be harder to draft because, you know, your draft packs, it might just be saying, um, you know, time is open and time can be Mandrake soldiers or um, Mandrake soldiers or uh, Sentinels. You know what I mean? Yep. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think the upshot of all this is that it's going to be nearly impossible to draft a devoted tribal deck um, ever. Uh, I think that you can get enough support to make some of your synergy work, like cards that are. Uh, that reference a tribe directly, you should be able to get enough cards, at least if the draft packs stay the way they are, or at least as supportive of the main mechanics and tribes as they are now. Um, I, I, I think that you'll be able to to get 
enough of enough units of the right tribe to to activate all of your like uh tribe dependent cards a reasonable amount of the time mm-hmm. but it's never going to be like in magic the gathering tribal sets where you can just straight up drought draft where you can just straight up draft zombies or, or whatever and have that be basically all of your units which i loved about magic the gathering tribal sets it was really fun doing that but um eternal as you as you say is really not set up to do that during draft. So um, it'll be the rare deck that is is devoted Mandrakes and is basically unstoppable. Right. Yeah, and that's what the weird thing is. I feel like in one sense, I don't know, this is not totally fair. You have to be drafting slightly poorly because you really need to be forcing a deck in order to get this. Like, You need to force it and be lucky to get like the ultimate Mandrake deck. But then that deck is going to be really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I played against um, uh, Shimra, I think, very early in the format. And he had a Xenon deck that was essentially the ultimate Mandrake deck. And it felt just impossible. It felt like I was playing against the constructed deck more than I think any other deck I've ever faced in drafts. I was just like, oh, all of these cards work together and are better. <laughs> There's not enough yeah. removal in the format to stop this juggernaut. Yeah. All right, so uh, moving on to announcements, uh, where we plug the Patreon at patreon.com slash farmingeternal, where for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can support the show, um, get access to show notes, recording bloopers, you can nudge us towards our Patreon goals, and get a shout out here in this little segment of ours. Uh, so thank you to Cotillion, Loki Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hamrid, Raven Dragon, Esridge 0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yisto. We appreciate your support uh, month after month. Um, and just in case uh, the electronic distortion I just heard for a moment um, is is permanent on the recording, uh, that was work done, son. <laughs> yeah. That was yes. thank you, thank you, work done, son. <laughs> All right, so shall we talk about some cards of the week? Yes, let's do. There's a whole there's two hundred new cards that we can talk about. It's so it's so and, free uh, and every and overwhelming. One of them I'm going to vaguely describe. With some <laughs> stats and costs and an inkling of their abilities. Every common and novel. That's the Empire of Glass motto. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, what's your card of the week? All right. Mine is uh, actually an older card, Prickly Grenadin. <laughs> yep. Which is the three-cost shadow, one-two, and it summons and the opponent has to discard a card. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, when you summon it, your opponent has to discard a card. What are your thoughts on this card? I I guess uh, this is one of my question cards, because uh, I've been seeing a lot of these, and it's been surprising, and I've been seeing you play a fair number of these. Um, yeah, my is- last, I think my last two decks that I've posted, seven win decks, have, have featured uh, Prickly Granadin. Um, and one deck had two of them, and it was great in that deck. <laughs> okay, so I guess I, I I just need some explanation. Because on... it looks like a real, real bad card. <laughs> it does, and it's a card that I 
have yet to be upset when my opponent plays it against me. Yeah. So... Uh... I mean, if I can eliminate, uh, like the deck that I I was playing it in was a pretty hardcore Stone Scarred Granadin deck, and I really needed things to say Granadin on them so that when I sacrificed them, they set off my Rota Scavengers, and and also I was that deck was um, was constructed as of a long-term value deck, even though the average cost of everything in the deck was very, very low. Um, I realized as I was, I, it was one of those drafts where the, where the factions were very open. So I ended up with too many playables and I had the luxury of being able to cut out cards that didn't fit into the main strategy. So I could have tried to go aggro with it and just played like, a, you know, a ton of little ones and twos and three drops and just tried to do as much damage as possible. But then I realized I had uh, cards uh, like prickly grenadin um and 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 uh and that it would be a, a more effective to try to grind down my opponent's resources gradually uh and because prickly grenadin as a three drop was one of the most expensive cards in the deck um, i had i also had the luxury during my games of waiting until they had uh until my opponent had only one or two cards in hand then dropping the Grenadine and forcing them to make a hard decision, uh, which often because, I, well, yeah, I mean, uh, forcing them to make a much harder decision than if I played it on three and they have to choose among their five cards, one of which is almost certainly a sigil. Um, it's a, I found it to be sort of a, a subtle, uh, powerful card because... Um, having to discard a card is always a real cost, mm-hmm. and, but you but your opponent doesn't always realize what that cost is right away. They just find uh, over time that their resources have gradually been worn away. And Prickly Grenadine is a body that you can sacrifice to a lot of Grenadine effects, but also um, sacrifice is pretty well supported in the draft packs. So uh, cards like Grizzly Contest and half grizzly contest whatever that's called <laughs> um, combust combust the original grizzly contest uh cards like combust and grizzly contest are some of the best removal in the format but you got to have bodies that you're willing to give up and prickly granite is like the one that you can't wait to give up because it's only a one two um yeah i i wouldn't say that i'm picking it that high but if i'm in a if i'm in a deck where i have a couple of sacrifice effects already wire chewers or or whatever, um, and I'm starting to think, you know, I'm going to need fodder, then something that forces my opponent to get rid of a card and then I get value from it later is probably going to be a good card. So it's a support role. It's not like, oh, yay, I have a bunch of prickly grenadines. Now I'm going to have a good deck. Um, it's uh, it, it's, a, it's a great card if you have granadine synergy um, because it's one of the... There's not... Like some things sacrifice, some units sacrifice other units, and then some units want to be sacrificed. And there's not that many that want to be sacrificed, and Prickly Granite is one of them. So I'm glad they included it in the draft packs because I think it's a good addition to um, to these sort of low cost value decks that seem to be so effective in this format. Yeah, yeah, I I I guess I can see that. I haven't really, I I haven't tried to draft a sacrificey deck and. So I think maybe that was part of my <laughs> what I was finding weird about so many people playing Prickly Grenadine 
Uh, I don't think everyone's playing it in decks that want it, if that helps. I've yeah. seen Prickly Granite and played against me in decks that don't get a whole lot of value or like aggro decks, and then that's probably not right. Yes. Well, yeah, I guess I just... It feels like there's just not enough ways to sacrifice. Obviously, there's like Grizzly Contest and stuff, which is great. But then... There's like all of these cards that also like there's the Roto Scavenger, which is uh, the Shadow Uncommon. It's a two Shadow two one Decay. When you sacrifice another unit, Roto Scavenger gets plus one plus one. If it was a Granadine, Roto Scavenger deals one damage to an enemy. Like that screams like, hey, there's probably a sacrifice sub theme, but then it feels really hard to get enough units ways to sacrifice units. So, yeah, like there's not a ton. Um, wire Chewer is a pretty good card, though. Uh, pesky Wire Chewer is the two fire one two, uh, Grenadine Rodent. Uh, on summon, you can sacrifice another unit to deal two damage to an enemy. Uh, you know, it turns it into a, a char. Um, any unit you like becomes a char. That's pretty good. The body of Pesky Wire Chewer isn't good by itself, but turning any unit into a char is good. So that's a good one. Uh, I, th I think that Pesky Wire Chewer is kind of the meat and potatoes of the Granadin deck in a lot of ways. Because um, hmm. because it's one of the few ways that you can sacrifice another unit at will um, in the uh, in, in the Empire of Glass, basically. <laughs> because yes. you're right, there aren't a lot in uh, the new set itself, and there's a lot of things that depend on sacrifice. Uh, and I think that makes, like the first time I, I drafted a Roto Scavenger, I just got no sacrifice effects for my deck. And so it felt like I had wasted an early pick on a promising looking uncommon. Um, and then I realized that all of the sacrifice effects are basically in the draft packs, but it's okay because there's enough of them that it, um, that it would pay off. Um, but it's a little bit risky trying to really get into that that format. I don't think there's a single shadow card that sacrifices another card in the in Empire of Glass. Uh, there's only uh, Zoomic Coercion. Oh, that's an uncommon, yeah. Yeah, which is the sacrifice unit to... It's four shadow sacrifice unit to draw a card from your market. Fate, add a random shadow card to your market. Yeah, and that's a fast spell, so it does, you know, it does some pretty cute things with cards like Roto Scavenger, um, but... It, it, yeah, it's not like a great tempo play or anything. No. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, the sacrifice effects are a little light on the ground, which is why I think Wire Chewer is so important to the Grenadine deck because it is one of the few common ways to do it. Right. All right. Okay. So I'll, I'll look out for that deck a little bit more now. I've had but the uh, most. I mean, I've had the most su consistent success with it of any archetype I've tried. Is is Stone Scar Grenadines. Like, just all of the tiny, cheap little units and just go to town. Yeah, and uh, it's it's funny you mention that because um, Stone Scar is actually the number one appearing deck we have so far. Yeah, it's not a surprise to me because I've tried everything and the Stone Scar decks are the ones that just um, seem to have the most consistent power and the most commons that are sort of redundant enough to make the deck work, even if you don't get the specific cards you're looking for. Okay, so on to your card, which um, 
you were saying there's that discarding a card was a real cost. Yep. Yeah. So the question is, how much of a cost is it? My card of the week is Barricade Basher. Uh, I don't know how people feel about this card in general. I imagine people hate playing against it. Uh, it is a 3-fire 5-5. Five, five. It is a Sentinel, which is often relevant. It has Reckless, so it attacks every turn. And when you summon it, you have to discard a card. Uh, that's, a, that's a lot to ask to discard a card, but it is also a really massive thing to be able to play on turn three. And there's not a lot of direct answers in the format. There are some, and I value those cards very high because you've got to have a plan for Basher. That's what I that's what I say to a lot to to good players that I know, like friends in game who beat me with like two or three barricade Bashers, and I don't have any answer. I just like when they wish me a good game after the after the match or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you got to have a plan for Basher. I didn't have a plan, <laughs> not with this deck. So you got me. Uh, it's. It's, uh, I think it's a really brave card for them to have made as a common because it's going to warp the format. Um, you, you have to be able to deal with a 5-5 with a, a five, five on turn 3 because you'll reap the rewards of your opponent having to discard a card if you can stay alive and maintain card advantage, perhaps deal with the basher with a single removal spell. Uh, just If you can deal with a barricade basher with one of your cards then you're up a card automatically. If you can permafrost it, you're up a card. <laughs> I managed to do that to Isomorphic today and it felt real good. <laughs> um, it, 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 so, but the, uh, but the initial tempo means that fire and fire-based aggro decks in this format are, I think, as powerful as they've ever been. There's more, they're more explosive and they win faster than I think I've in any other Eternal Draft format that I've seen. And Basher is just like at the heart of that. There's other really good aggro cards. Scythe Slash, for example, uh, the fast spell that give, that costs two and gives a unit plus four strength and overwhelm um, for a turn and plunders because why would it be why, why would you need it to just do four damage to your opponent's face when it can also fix your next draw? No, you, well, you got to be able to BM when you're... Yeah, <laughs> yeah you do. It's the rudest card they've ever printed. Um, so not only, yeah, the, not only does Barricade Basher exist, but there's a lot of support for it. So, uh, yeah, you need to be able to deal with it. And so um, as I've eased into the format and realized what a threat that thing was, I have valued ways of dealing with it efficiently way higher than I would in any other format. Um, and like it make it means that Razorbot, which is uh, a a one one for one shadow with deadly and it's a Grenadin, is so high up on my pick order <laughs> compared to other formats where that card, you know, we've had that card as a spider for a while. And it's like, oh, I guess I'll pick that up. You know, it'll hold off a big unit or something. Now it's like well, there's nothing else exciting in the pack. I'll just pick up my required two or three razor bots and put them in my deck so I can deal with Basher. Yeah, I I agree. And unlike um, some formats, you, you know, like there's just not. I mean, there's just like not a lot of six health units in this current mm-hmm. format. You know, there are not a lot of five health units, but not a lot of six health. 
Yeah. And I, I do agree with you that the trick is to figure out how to get rid of Basher efficiently because I, we were talking about this before the podcast, but for some reason during the draft preview event, I didn't find Basher quite as oppressive as I, as I have the last few runs I've done where I felt like in the preview event, for some reason, I was able to take advantage of the fact that they discarded a card, you know, so even if I lost a, you know, if I, because if, you know, if, if it only takes one card to deal with it, like if you're able to block with two, three, threes and kill their five, five, you know, you were way ahead because that card really cost them, you know, two cards and you only lost one. But for some reason, it feels like it has gotten harder. And I don't know if part of that is that the the draft packs really don't support a way to deal with Basher. And so you really need to, I don't know. I, I don't know. The draft packs don't really seem to afford a way to deal with it. And in the set 10 cards, there's like a lot of, good and interesting cards, but I think there's also a lot of understated units, um, basher, you know, basher aside, you know, you have a lot of these like Valkyrie flyers or, you know, there's the, um, the three cost time unit. That's like a three, two that plays synchronized strike. So like, there's a lot of these cards that have extra effects, but then they take a hit in their, their body, making it, making me sometimes wish I just had like a couple three threes to throw in front of a basher. Right. Yeah. No, there's not a ton of three threes, especially not for efficient like versions of them. Like there's not Yeah. a lot of three threes for three. And there's not a lot in the draft packs either. Um, there's a few and those are pretty good for that exact reason. But yeah, but I think that's a good piece of advice. You really got to, figure out how to you need to have a plan for basher because fire has been one of the best performing decks i mean that's always that's often true at the beginning of any format where people are still experimenting so then aggro decks kind of do better but it really feels like aggro decks have the tools to continue to do really well and so we really you really need to have a plan for that yeah i don't think it's an accident that that our that our seven win spreadsheet is so overwhelmingly fire based. Um, I think that fire is genuinely really strong, and I draft it when I when I see the right cards for it. Which, and there's a lot of right cards for it. Um, there's a ton a ton of the commons are good, and then some of the uncommons are completely ridiculous for fire. And I take them when I see them. Mm-hmm. So, so are you are you taking the grenadine that turns a a unit into a char that two cost one two that sacrifices the deal yeah wire chewer yeah wire chewer are you are is that like a signal like i no i don't take it as a signal at all because for one thing people aren't valuing it that high and so it doesn't make sense as a signal um i'm not seeing people play it as much as i'm playing it and i don't think people like passing on it means that they're not trying to play granite in i think it's super undervalued 
Uh, it's not like the most powerful card in the world or anything. I just think it serves an incredibly important function for Grenadin, which is that it can sacrifice them. Um, so, uh, no, that wouldn't be a signal. The thing I think uh, something that would be a signal <laughs> would be that I now that we're talking about uh, Barricade Basher. I saw one last pick in my first pack, uh, this last draft, the one where I ended up filling Mandrakes. And I could have taken that as a fire signal because I don't care how I don't I don't care how uh, bad it feels to discard a card to barricade Basher. There's no way it's a last pick. <laughs> There's no way it's the twelfth best card in a pack. Yeah, no, I mean that's a hundred percent true. But this is what I've been talking. This is what we kind of talked about before the show. Is I've had the opposite experience with fire, where I've had a lot of trouble getting into fire decks in this format because I feel like Basher, at least in common, Basher is the only card that I'm really excited about. Okay. Well, I would probably be more. Ex- I would probably be excited about other cards, other commons. There's a there's a few of them that are not exciting. For example, Arms Race, which I've never drafted or played. Um, and you know, you're not going to start off your fire uh, your fire deck with a Brash Flame Spewer, which is a zero one for one. <laughs> but. If there's other text on it, but it's rarely relevant. I've had Brash Flame Spewer played against me, but to date, that is not a card that's been in a deck that I have lost to. <laughs> Probably it'll happen tomorrow. I don't know, but not yet. <laughs> anyway, um, I because I've had so much success with the like one-drop-based uh, Stone Scar deck, um, I see Gleaming Grenadin as a really good fire common. For the same reason that I used to see Grenadin Drone as a really good signal that fire might be open. Uh, Gleaming Grenadin is a 1-1 one, one for 1 fire with charge. Um, when it dies, you play a 1-1 one, one wrestling with decay. You don't get both bodies the way you do with Grenadin Drone, which just makes them immediately. But you do get two bodies, and both of them have an ability. So I see Gleaming Grenadin as kind of one of the... And also it's one of the few things that wants to be sacrificed. And uh, so that's part of the whole sacrifice theme is you've got to have that. Um, so that's one of them. I don't think it's like a slam dunk. Like if I see it if I see it third or fourth, I'm not going to take it as a signal, but I will see it as a potential direction that I can go. And uh, maybe not like, I don't know at what point in the pack, like midway through the pack. Um and if I see both uh, Gleaming Grenadins and Wire Chewers, then I know probably I'm going to see some more stuff that can add into that deck. And then Laser Blast, I think, is a premium card. There's so many ways to abuse Laser Blast. Uh, that's a three fire card. One of your units deals its current health and damage to an enemy unit. Laser Blast costs two less if your unit is a Sentinel. Oh, ba- Barricade Basher is a Sentinel, you say? That seems unfair. <laughs> yeah. It seems very unfair for Barricade Basher to be able to kill anything for one power. I know. I And I'm still <laughs> shocked every time my opponent plays it against me and then attacks with that unit that same turn. Yeah, it seems like unreasonable that it should be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. It really feels like it should exhaust. Yeah, it really does. Like, that's enough. I've laser blasted something. But no, no, laser blast just happens. And then they get to take the rest of their turn. 
but laser blast also uh, deals deadly damage if your unit is deadly, which is another reason why I take Razorbot so high. Mm-hmm. Um, Razorbot, you have to pay full price for the laser blast, but it still kills anything. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I guess, I'm just still... It's con- very confusing to me because I like drafting fire aggro decks a lot. Yeah. And... Well, would you like me to list more good commons in fire? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking at a list of commons in fire right now, and I'm not excited about any of them besides for Laser Blast and Barricade Basher. Oni Hybrid is also very good. It's a lot of value. You just have to have weapons. Um and I think Malaga Munitions is, or however you say that first word, Munitions is a good card. But it, it's not like a first, it's not anywhere near a first, second, third, fourth pickable card. Uh, however, it is a good card, and it fits yes. into a lot of deck archetypes. No, I I agree. I think I think my main problem is I took like Flameheart Patrols, real patrollers, really high in set nine, which is one of the ways I got into fire all sure. the time. Yeah. And and because Barricade Basher is so obviously a good card, I mean, besides for your aforementioned 12th pick Barricade Basher, um, you know, you just don't see that many of them in a draft. Or at least I haven't in the drafts that I've done so far. Yeah, Which could also be variants. Uh, it could be variants, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean... I usually get into fire because I see I see one of the outright busted fire uncommons and just I'm like, well, I'll take one of that. I'll take that and then and then see where this goes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's probably enough about barricade basher and fire. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's our show. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll quickly go through the seven win run breakdown. Um, so this is the longstanding data collection project we are. We have here at Farming Eternal, uh, where listeners send in their seven win drafts to either farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them in the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord as either an exported deck list or any kind of work link. We then take this information, we put it in a spreadsheet, and then we talk about it on this show. And um, as Shab mentioned in the last episode, um, you know, besides for us talking in the show, I think it is very valuable as just a resource to see to like you know we have uh 20 stone scar decks in there or so right now and so you can like go look at the stone scar decks and see what other people are winning with to figure out kind of get a sense of what these different decks and archetypes are doing so it's a good resource um to just you know not even see the just the metadata but to actually look at the decks um, and kind of get a sense of what people are doing because a lot of really good players are submitting decks each and every week. And so uh, thank you to them and thank you to John Holio for entering the list. And here we go. So our new contributor this week is Pusillanimous. So that's a real word. <laughs> is it? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a real word. It means showing a lack of courage or determination. Okay. Well, that yeah. makes sense because uh, I think, and it's pronounced pusillanimous, 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 pusillanimous. Yes, because their their Discord icon is the 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 lion from the Wizard of Oz. Oh, there you go. Uh, it's all it's a whole identity. 
Yeah, it's all coming together. Uh, they do a lot of things. They edit people's shows. They do the incredible shift stoned. Oh, that's uh, great. Yeah. Uh, format change articles and stuff. So very busy person. Um, and then our veteran contributors, Abed Nago, A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Alabazoo, Beard Broken, Celtic Guardian 7, Collector, Comet, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, Doc 28, Fast Cookie, FS Forward Sound, Gata Sujo, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Humble Ice, Ip Long No, John Avon, John Holio, Mancio 1982, Matty Oker, uh, Meadow, Mercurial Blue, Out on a Limb, Parmalee, Patamaro, Probably Red, Shab, Sleffer 13, Spiro, SSJ, 1997, Spiffy Man, Stammer, Steve Irwin, Sunblaze, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Toucan, Twin Hex, Vader, Who Does That, Zeth um, Yistow, and Z.S. Jostrom, uh, 35. That is a lot of people. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, the, this is our first sort of breakdown. We've got 74 drafts. Um, in the sheet right now. Um, like you said, Fire, uh, number one deck appearing in f- over 55% of the decks. Yep. Um, Justice is next, right on its coattails in 51%. And then uh, Time and Shadow in the 30s, and Primal is in its rightful place in the 20%. Oh, poor Primal. Yeah. Just and can't to give you a, home. a little more context, you know, these numbers like we always talk about, shift depending on how many colors are per deck. So if it was a two-color format, you would expect everybody to be at 40. If it's a three-color format um, and every deck had three colors in it, then you would expect all the numbers to be at about 60%. And right now, um, about two-thirds of the decks that we've received are two-color and a third are three-color. So we're averaging 2.35 colors per deck. <laughs> um, which those is kind of no, interesting. Those are the numbers, folks. Those are the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of interesting um, in the context of what we'll talk about in the archetypes is all five of the main tribal archetypes are do have support in three colors. Um, you yes. know, you know, like mandrakes are time primal shadow. Soldiers are time justice. Primal. Primal. Okay, time justice primal. I don't know. They they made so many things soldiers that uh, it's... They did. Uh, so I didn't really notice when they did this. I don't know if they made an announcement or what, but they went through and made a lot of older cards soldiers, um, and they're in the draft packs now. And so... Like, you really have to read the type on everything to see if it's going to fit into your plan. Because a lot of things that were used to be just mages or whatever are now uh, now activating all of the Soldier Synergy cards. And it's, in some cases, really quite crazy. Yes. Um, it also made, I think, Soldiers the most prevalent, you know, arc, sort of by numbers, like number of cards that are Soldiers in of all five of the tribes. Um it also makes it really complicated to theorycraft these decks because none of the eternal resources have necessarily updated. Right. Yeah. No, you can't look up soldiers on Eternal Warcry right now and get an accurate readout. 
Yes. Um, so that's a, a little interesting. Um, but yeah, so, but the point being is there's a lot of these, um, you know, all the tribes are supported in three colors. Um, so you could imagine there being a lot of three color decks. I think this is going to be mitigated by the fact that the fixing, I think, is a little light. Um, it's a little unclear on how easy it is to get Seek Powers and Bannerman and the uh, one cost 04 lady. Because none of the factionless cards uh, uh, boost rates were reported accurately by Direwolf. They just didn't do that section. Yes. Um, and then the only like uh, fix fixing in power in set 10 um, are the five paintings, which are at uncommon. Yes. Yeah, there's no there's no common there's no traditional common fixing. The fixing is a little bit more subtle in this set. Yes. So it's so I've been leaning very heavily to two color decks with maybe a light splash for a metal thing or something like that. Um, right. But I, I think I've mostly been doing that, although, well, you don't lie, hats. I've seen your decks. <laughs> what? I don't, I I don't, don't know. Lie, I can't hats. I've seen remember your decks. each. I can't remember each one of them, though. So I don't know what I've been doing for sure. I know I've had at least a couple of two color decks, but I do like to splash for really powerful cards. So I've probably been mostly mostly submitting threes. Yeah. Yep. So, like we said, fire justice, the number one colors. As far as like the actual deck makeup, uh, Stone Scar is our number one deck, followed by Rakano. And then they're in the sort of a second tier is um, Combre or not, yeah, Combre, Praxis, and Huru. And then almost nothing else, really. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I turned in a film deck this week, so I'm doing my best to mess with the statistics. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, I see you. You're that. You're the 1.35% of film decks. That's me. Just me. Only only me is film. Film is me and I am film. That uh, shows up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So th I think that's uh, th that that kind of fits uh, with what I've been seeing and what I've been feeling. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I can't argue with, uh, with Fire's dominance right now because I've been having the same amount of success with it. Like the, the Mandrake deck that I just uh, won with was, was an aberration and it was, I went into it because it was wide open. Yeah. Yeah. What's kind of interesting this and ties into what I've been talking about is though, like the Rakano deck that's, you know, Rakano's doing really well, but, and you would think, based on like the tribes and archetypes that Rakano would want to be Valkyries, but I don't know if all of these Rakano decks that are doing well are Valkyrie decks, really. They're just like Rakano decks that have some Valkyries in it, but also a lot of strong cards and get you dead really quickly. Yeah, I think there's a distinction to be made here between our, uh, the tribal um, archetypes and just the archetypes of the format. Because I think that the tribal archetypes do exist to some degree. There is sort of a 
there is sort of like a quintessential Valkyrie deck and a quintessential Mandrake deck, and you can get pretty close to those if you're like very lucky and you take some risks during the draft. But I actually don't think that that's what I'm normally drafting towards uh, right now. I mean, this may evolve um, as I draft more of the set because I've seen some very effective tribal synergy decks against me. Um, but most of the time I'm drafting to a more abstract strategy uh, with, some, with some assists from the tribal synergies. Mm-hmm. So a little bit like two decks shuffled together. Like the right. tribal deck, and then the strategy, uh, which is maybe aggro or value or control or whatever, and uh, and and one of the tools that you use to get there is the powerful tribal synergies that they printed. Yeah, and I think that that sort of helps answer the the questions I asked at the yeah. beginning of this podcast. Yeah, and I I gave you a long answer before, and I I can give you a short answer now that I've given you the long answer, which is that's where I'm at with the format right now, is there's some really powerful strategies, and the tribal synergies sometimes support them. Okay. So I guess we should move on to our main topic, where we break down these slightly supported tribal synergies. Yes. Yes, let's do. Uh, So... I wanted to start with Sentinels because I think Sentinels was the best represented in the preview event, so everyone kind of got used to playing with them. Um, I guess Grenadines were also represented, but I think they were missing some of the key cards that they needed to be a really good tribe during the preview, whereas Sentinels pretty much had everything they needed. Uh, A little bit too much (laughs) of what they needed, so they dominated the preview event pretty solidly. Uh, anyway, so so as a broad overview, why you would want to be Sentinels is a handful of payoff cards. Um, you get a powerful spell in Restorative Process, uh, which is a two-time spell that gets uh, a Sentinel and an attachment from your Void and brings them back to your hand. That is a draw two, and you get to use your whole Void as a library. Um, and uh, that's a it's a card that gives you so much value in the Sentinel deck because often your Sentinels are, are large units that are difficult to deal with in the first place, so bringing them back is very strong. Um, and also uh, bringing back some of the attachments means you get another unit anyway because you're playing something like Okessa's Audience or Wormstone, uh, and then you're, you're bringing that thing back. Uh, to uh, Okessa's Audience in particular goes well with the restorative process uh, because it starts as a one power relic and then it turns later into a five five sentinel restorative process once the sentinel is also dead uh, gets back both the audience and the sentinel and now that's a total of three five fives that your opponent has to deal with and they probably aren't going to so restorative process actually quite a reward for having sentinels in your deck Laser Blast, which we talked about before, only costs one power when you when a Sentinel uses it, and a lot of Sentinels are very big and can kill any other reasonable card. Uh, controlled Demolition is one of the reasons that I get into Justice in the first place. Uh, it's a five-power fast spell um, uh, Justice, and it uh, gives a unit double damage and regen mid-combat if necessary. It costs five on most units, but on Sentinels it only costs two. Which honestly feels unfair when it happens. Because <laughs> Sentinels are large to begin with. So if they can kill something even twice their size, 
uh, and not to, and not die during the process, that's a good trick, and they keep the double damage. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, and then there's Silver Titan, which is kind of your uncommon top end. Uh, it's a it's a six six for seven time time. Uh, when you draw it, if you have a Sentinel in play already, you draw a card, um, and uh, that's another reason I would get into Sentinels is if I had a Silver Titan because it's such a a six six for with endurance. By the way, uh, for seven. Um, that draws a card when you draw it uh, is very strong. So I like to have that in my market <laughs> so I can draw it when I'm sure that I have a Sentinel in play. Uh, and then uh, usually that's that's a good way to, to put a lockdown on a game. The yeah, other then reward, you give it charge and then you give it charge because you got it with your uh, with your with your chargey grafter. Yeah, uh, pretty good stuff. Um, it, it, and then in the draft packs, because Bond was a thing, uh, there's some pretty powerful Sentinels uh, that you can play for cheap because you've got your expensive Sentinels that get them in. So uh, Scourstone Sentinel is a 7-8, I believe. I'm not actually looking at it. but Yeah, it's I think a 7-8 for 9 with Bond yeah. and Overwhelm. Right, and Bond reduces the price of it um, by the strength of one of your units if you exhaust that unit when it comes into play. It also has to be a Sentinel. Uh, Scourstone Sentinel is what is about the biggest common in in the format right now, um, and uh, you, you're really only going to play it if you've got some Sentinels. Uh, I think it's a legit reward for playing Sentinels is... Uh, because uh, uh, if you're if you're going for the largest unit in play, I think that's it. Uh, I don't think anything else can really touch it. Anywho, uh, those are your rewards. There's also Side Street Monitor, which is the two one flyer for three justice. It has regen, um, and then when you play a relic, you can uh, ready all of your sentinels, and uh, that's a pretty small benefit. But giving all of your big old, uh, you know. Like one of the big problems with Sentinels is that you're playing one large unit while maybe your opponent is playing several small units so they can go wide around you. Uh, but giving your units pseudo endurance is a good way to get around that. So I think Side Street Monitor is a uh, plays a small, subtle but important role um, in a deck that isn't going to be necessarily just attacking, 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 but trying to build a board. Because um, it gives you time because of the regen, and it can block flyers, which it really needs to be able to do in a format fill, filled with Valkyries. <laughs> um, and then it makes your army um, a lot more resilient to go wide strategies, because you, you get to both attack and defend. So, yes. those are I kind of your side payoffs. Street Monitor is also a card you really want to pay attention to, because it's one of the easiest cards to miss free attacks with. I've seen so many good players misplay that <laughs> constantly because it goes against every instinct that you have. Like normally, you play your relics before combat. Um, like it'll be something like you know a relic that draws a card, or it's a you know it's a, a weapon or something. <laughs> and so you're used to playing it before your attack, and monitor says no, you made a mistake. Yes. So that is just something to look out for. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult card with the whole novel printed on it. So, <laughs> um, so essentially, your payoffs are a little bit all over the place if you're trying to go for Sentinel Tribal synergies. 
because some of them are like laser blast and uh, and controlled demolition, where you get powerful effects for very cheap. Um, but some of them are just you get to play big things, and then if they die, play them again. Uh, that's always what Sentinels were about, uh, but it's sort of amplified with a card-like restorative process in the format. Um, so you kind of have to pick a direction, I think, to some degree. Uh, I think that's true for all of these tribal uh, synergies, is that uh, there's a couple of different directions to go with them, and that's what I like about them, but it also makes them complicated to draft. Yeah. I For me, Sentinels feels like it has one of the most distinct, because... Like you said, there's a ton of huge units. Um, but then there's also these just, I think you can draft this very aggressive Sentinel deck. You know, you. Yes, I think the Ricano version is super aggressive. Yes. But um, kind of interestingly, um, you know, even in Praxis, um, I mean, this again relies heavily on, on the fire cards, but I. Something cute is like with Power Cell, which is the Praxis un uncommon in uh, Empire of Glass, which is uh, two Praxis for a 2-1 with Decay that on summon you draw a Power Surge and then it gains plus one attack every time you play a Sentinel. Yep. Like, this card seemed really kind of medium to me until my opponent played this on two and then played a basher and then discarded their power surge. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great trick. And then made, and then turned this into a three, one with decay and had a five, five on board without really discarding a card. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, probably something that was intended <laughs> you know there's a lot of subtle ways to use basher for example uh oni uh oni hybrid which is the three one for four fire fire um it's got flying and when it comes into play you can get a weapon back from your void uh i've seen people and i've done this too uh play basher discard a weapon next turn get it back with the hybrid so uh, they still got a three one flyer and a five five on board um, and now they didn't really discard. So, uh, pretty evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now we're just talking about Basher again, though. Yeah, no, but, but it's I, a Sentinel. I, we're talking about it in the Sentinel section. Yeah, no, but I, I think it's important to talk about because, you know, the, I do think when you think Sentinels, you think seven and eight drops, but... Basher really can be this bridge card where it can actually, I think, also go into this um, this big Sentinel deck just because it's a big Sentinel. But it can also it also helps support this um, smaller, more aggressive um, Sentinel deck because there are also um, you know the cards from Set Nine, the Flameheart Patrol, or right Flameheart Patroller is a Sentinel. Yeah, so there's just a lot more cheap Sentinels now that allow it to go um, both directions. And if you're uh, Rakana, then you get that killer one-drop Bastion Gatekeeper, uh, also a Sentinel. It's a 3-1 for 2 Justice. It has a novel written on it. Uh, <laughs> it has Plunder when you summon it. And then once per turn, you can, play, you can pay 3 to double its strength and health for a turn. Uh, it's a very aggressive little card. Um, and it's a Sentinel. So... 
uh, it fits into that very aggressive uh, theme quite well. And uh, I guess also, well, we'll get into uh, we'll get into the distribution of of Sentinels uh, a little bit later. Yeah. So I guess when we're talking about the big Sentinel um, deck, uh, is there a lot of ramp to support that deck? There is. I think there's a. I think ramp is super consistent in this format. The most dramatic uh, version of that is Quartet Maximizer, which I think is one of the most defining cards of the format. Quartet Maximizer is the two-time 1-1 with Deadly um, that gives you uh, plus two maximum power if you have a Relic in play. Uh, that's a lot of power. If you play Okes's Audience on one, and then you play Quartet Maximizer on two, and then play another Sigil next turn, you've got five power on turn three, which is absurd. Um, I think Quartet Maximizer is another card that you want to have a plan for, because if somebody starts playing five cost cards on turn three and you're still stuck with three power, it's really hard to come back from that. So um, I've had my opponents um, go out of their way to kill Quartet Maximizers that I get down early, and I do the same thing, um, just because uh, they its presence can be so damaging. Um, and also, Quartet Maximizer is the ultimate card to use Laser Blast, since it can kill <laughs> literally anything for one power. Um, although I've never seen that happen in a draft. I know it works, that's what the cards say, but I've never seen anyone Laser Blast with a Quartet Maximizer, even though it seems like the two cards were specifically built to work together. <laughs> anyway, Quartet Maximizer is the dramatic version of it, but of course you do need to play Relics in order to... Um, to make those two things work together. Uh, Quartet Maximizer, of course, also a really good way of stopping Barricade Bashers, since they have Deadly. But you also have Expand the Reach, uh, which is the three-time uh, spell that plunders and then uh, fetches any sigil from your deck and plays it depleted. Uh, you have Coveted Gemstone, which is the relic uh, that costs three time and gives you plus one maximum power, and then you can sacrifice it later to get a Sentinel from a Sentinel or an attachment from your market. Um, and then you've got Jade Lodestone, which is a really weird card. <laughs> this is a one justice relic uh, that stuns all of your opponent's units with one attack or less. Uh, and then you can pay one and, and um, exhaust a Sentinel to, to, to play a justice sigil from your deck. It's a crazy card, but it does satisfy the, the requirement of being a relic for Quartet Maximizer and <laughs> and also ramping you if that's what you want to do. So it's a very good Sentinel card. Uh, so there's a ton of that, and then you've got um, the Amplify spell in in uh, in the draft packs uh, that also cost three. So if you want to ramp on three, you will almost certainly be able to find the materials to do that. Um, ramp deck's super easy to draft. Yes. And then there's a lot of big units that you can play off of those ramp cards. Yeah. There's... In the last format, I was complaining all the time that um, that there was nothing really to ramp to if you were in Combray. And that was true. Not true in this format. <laughs> no. There's uh, in uh, Empire of Glass, there's the Skyguard Sentinel, which is the six cost five five that is flying on your opponent's turn. There is uh, the Okessa's Audience. Um, Okessa's Audience is an interesting one. Um, 
because it's a colorless relic that makes a 5-5. So really, every deck wants an Akesta's audience. Uh, that's true, um, uh, but I think it's a little deceptive. I don't think every deck actually wants an Okessa's audience that badly. Um, but it's there's no question that it's a good card, but I do think it's at its best in Sentinels. And I have been sad about having Okessa's audience in my decks that aren't trying to do what Sentinels is trying to do. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, that's I haven't actually been able to draft that many since the change. Yeah, they um, get snapped up pretty quick, I think. Yeah. I think they're over... I think they're um, over... <laughs> what's the word? Overrated. I think they're I think they're overrated right now. It's okay. not that it's a bad card, but it's still, I think... Uh, I've, I see people playing them in decks that don't actually want them. Okay. Interesting. I'll keep that in mind. Then there's the Silver Titan that we mentioned, which is the 7-cost 6-6 with Endurance that has Fate... Draw a card if there's a Sentinel on board. There's the Scourstone Sentinel. And then uh, a classic, one of my favorite cards, Magmatic Sentinel. The um, 8 cost, 7-5, that says summon, deal 5 damage to an enemy in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the big one at the top of the curve. Um. Yeah, so there's a lot of big units. They also, like we've been mentioning, there's a, a there's a, like a, this relic sub theme um, with Sentinels. Um, you know, there's the core tap maximizer that cares about Sentinels. There's also in the draft packs. There's the uh, four cost four two Sentinel that when you have a relic gains plus one plus one in overwhelm. Yep. Um, and then there's a. Then there's Drifting Drone, uh, which is the zero two flyer with life steal. Uh, it only costs one, but every relic in your void uh, gives it plus one strength. So all of those relics, such as Okesa's audience, that can put themselves into the void, uh, make Drifting Drone uh, a lot better. Because once you have a one two flying life steal, uh, already that's a great card. <laughs> All right. And so what are some problems, uh, what are some drawbacks to Sentinel's deck? Well, we've touched on a few of them, is that Sentinels can be slow. Uh, if you're going for the type of deck that is uh, going to play multiple large units and then recur them and overwhelm your opponents with value, uh, you can get overrun because um, ag aggro is, is very effective in this format. Um, and one drops are very good in this format. So you really need a, a strong early game to give you the flexibility to have that overwhelming late game. Um, and then this is something I'm going to be coming back to in all in most of the tribes. Uh, they took this opportunity to introduce tribes into new factions. Sentinels have always been in Praxis. They've been t in time, and then the more aggressive ones have been in fire. They've never been in Justice before, so the only Sentinels that are in Justice are in Empire of Glass. You won't find any in the draft packs at all. So if you're going really heavy on Sentinel Synergy and you're, also, and you're playing Justice, you're going to get cut off of the knees a little bit during packs 2 and 3, and it'll be tough to fill in those gaps, which is one of the reasons why it feels like you have to play three factions if you're going really hard on, on Tribal Synergies. Because uh, you have to. You're not going to be able to just stick with two factions and really do that. So you have to be a little bit more flexible. 
Um, yeah. But I've had that trouble uh, trying to draft Sentinels or do like I tried to do some of the same things that I had done in the preview format where Sentinels were really well supported and 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 try to do those same things in this format. And it's impossible because packs two and three are completely empty for those cards. Yes, uh, I I agree. Um, because like you said, there's no justice sentinels in the draft packs. Um, the draft packs do have just to give some context. There's, um, there are eight sentinels. Um, if you include Okessa's monument at common in Empire of Glass, and then there's eight sentinel sentinels, uh, quote unquote, in the draft packs at five x plus. Um, at five common. times or ten times, yeah. Um. And I include it in that eight uh, Temple Raider, which is sort of a uh, Sentinel synergy card in probably the more aggressive Sentinel um, decks. Yeah. That I is that's, that's really a Rakano card, yeah. Yeah, the th- three cost two two um, that gains plus two plus two. It has Sentinel Ally and yeah. gains plus two plus two in charge. Right, it always has charge. Oh, it always has charge. Yeah. And then there's also uh, Ancient Machinist, um, which starts as a soldier and then turns into a sentinel if you play a five-cost spell or greater. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you've got your supply of five-five sentinels if you want them. Yeah. So, all right, shall we move on to soldiers? Well, I I also do want to mention that if you are um, drafting ramp, it's always... It's always risky because you have to get the ramp and then the large units, and that's uh, that always means any any draft archetype that requires you to have two pieces in order for anything to work it, it can be difficult to draft. So it takes a little practice to get all of the ratios right, to know how many ramp cards you need and how many big units you need, and then adjust on the fly if you're getting uh, too much of a supply of either one of those. Yes. I do think that's one of the reasons um, Core Tap Maximizer is kind of nice because, I don't know, it, it can sort of hold the ground even when you don't have, like, a relic to allow it to ramp you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, if you're smart about blocking and you don't just block the first thing that comes along, Core Tap Maximizer can sort of keep you from getting killed for quite a while. Exactly. So it, it kind of is a stabilizer and a ramp card in one. Um, little fragile. I, <laughs> but. A little fragile. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to kill it, for sure. <laughs> but, all right, so then on to soldiers. All right, let's do soldiers. So, so soldiers are the time Justice Primal uh, tri- uh, tribe. Uh, and I think they're interesting because I don't think we've seen anything quite like them before um, in, in Eternal. Uh, they... There are so many of them now because, as we were saying, they changed a bunch of uh, of units into soldiers. Um, and I think there was a theme and some thought behind why they did it the way they did, like why some things are soldiers now and why some aren't. I think there are some themes there, but we'll get into that. Um, and, and I think it's uh, this is something that I haven't been able to draft with any success yet, but I have seen very effective soldier decks against me and it seems like the power in the archetype is very obvious so let's talk about it uh some of the payoffs for being soldiers are cards like um asri scout uh asri which is a 2-2 flyer for three time 
uh, whenever you amplify, uh, all of your soldiers get plus one, plus one until end of turn for each time you amplify. Um, there's a there's a card called uh, Frostclaw Rider, which is a uh, six primal primal five five uh, bear soldier <laughs> that gets plus two plus two for each other soldier you control and costs only four if there's a stunned unit in the field. Um, there's cast out, which I'm going to try to do from memory, even though it's a Dostoevsky length novel. <laughs> cast out is a one-time spell. Uh, it costs one time, rather. It's not a one-time spell, uh, but it costs one time. Uh, it return your opponent's unit to hand, and then um, its amplify is exhaust a soldier to create a... Uh, to create a set. You know what? I'm just going to read it. I tried, and it's so hard. Um, you make a set. I'm going to describe it in layman's terms. You create, uh, for each soldier that you exhaust when you cast the spell, uh, you create a larger and larger sentinel. It starts as a plus one, plus, uh, as a one one for one soldier, and then gets bigger and bigger as you exhaust more soldiers. So essentially, it's a tempo play where you bounce one of your opponent's uh, units back to hand, make a big sentinel, um, depending on how many soldiers you have out. And then, uh, and then go on from there. Uh, it's a card that I've can never I... seen anyone play, but I bet it's good. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a rules question on this? Yes. Because it was very unclear just reading the card. Yeah. So you have to keep making the one sentinel bigger. You can't make multiple one one sentinels. No, that's not what it does. It makes one sentinel larger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really taking a. I'm really, I'm really uh, putting myself out there by saying that because again, I've never seen anyone play the card. I've drafted it and then been unable to make a soldier deck, so I didn't play it. I think it's good if you're in the soldier deck, uh, but I don't uh, know what it. I've never seen it actually work <laughs> yet. Um, but then, uh, and then there's a handful of other cards. There's the Daring Sword Master, which is another incredibly complicated card. It's the designated uncommon that draws a card. Uh, when it's tried is already in play. So it draws a card if you draw it when you have a soldier in play already. It's a 1-1 one, one for 4, which is pretty bad, but then every time you amplify, for each time you amplify, at the end of your turn, you can put a plus 1, plus 1 weapon uh, on one of your other units. Uh, or actually, I think you can put the weapon on the Swordmaster as well. Anyway, um, and that weapon gets bigger and bigger for each amplify. Anyway, so you're, uh, the, the real king of them all, though, as far as I'm concerned... Uh, the real payoff and one of the big reasons to be in soldiers is the card Call on Allies, uh, which is uh, a card that I vastly underestimated when I first saw it, um, <laughs> but I appreciate it now. You betcha. Uh, it's a three justice spell that says move a random unit in your deck to the top. That's not what the card does, though. The real thing the card does is in the second half where it says amplify, exhaust a soldier to play a plus three, plus three weapon on it, and move an additional unit in your deck to the top. What this card really does is give plus three, plus three to all of your soldiers. It is impossible to fight against that once it has happened. Yes, and then you just draw gas yes. for the next. You draw next gas for however many turns that you're that you have soldiers in the field. Uh, super hard card to fight against. And um, 
like the only real drawback to it is the obvious one that you have to exhaust every soldier that you put the weapon on. And therefore, if you're too far behind and you cast this spell, uh, it doesn't do you that much good because your opponent can still get you. Um, but if there's any kind of parity, like any kind of board stall, or it's early in the game or anything, uh, call on allies is like the is just the hammer blow that the soldiers want in order to be able to win. And there's also uh, the card. What's the what's the card that just makes a million soldiers? Um, send in the reserves. Yes, send for the reserves. Send for the reserves, uh, which makes a soldier for every two power that you have. Um, if you follow that with a call, uh, call the allies, then uh, then you win. You win every time. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Send for the reserves is a two cost time spell that says play a two one uh, soldier, and then you can amplify it for two to play another two one soldier. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a it's a real good flood the board card, and then they're all soldiers, so they activate all of these um, all of these cards that give you bonuses for having lots of soldiers. So unlike Sentinels, which had a couple of themes going for the payoff, soldiers have one big payoff, which is that there's this handful of cards that are super powerful if you have a lot of soldiers in play. Azri Scout, Call on Allies, uh, Frost, Frostclaw Rider, Cast Out. Um, they, they, it's, a very, uh, it's a very clear strategy. Get a bunch of soldiers on the field and then like these then then uh play these cards that benefit from that there you go um and i've seen it be be very effective i have a hard time drafting it for some reason uh maybe because i don't see those payoff cards that often um i take asri scout fairly high and then i regret it because it's not the most powerful of those payoff cards (laughs) but and it requires you to also have amplify uh so um uh, I found it difficult, but it's clearly very, very powerful if you can make it work. And there's a lot of soldiers in the uh, draft packs that you can that you can add in there. Yes, yeah. I think what's uh, really interesting about this archetype for me is um, the couple times that I've drafted it, I've kind of drafted it like an amplify deck with soldiers in it, um, yeah. because a lot of the um, payoffs have amplify and then their commons like shock troops which is the one justice one one that gains plus three plus three or you put a plus three plus three weapon it's on weapon, it yeah um if you amplify a card so that it quickly can become a one cost four four yeah. and then there's Mavaloft elite which is the two primal uh two two that gains plus one, plus one every time you amplify. Um, Yes. Yeah, so I think, I agree. I think that's where a soldier deck starts a lot of the time is as an amplify deck. And then, um, and then you get these, and then you get these big payoff cards if you're lucky. Yes. And, and so it all it all goes together, you know. Like there's a real clear sort of there's real clear themes. They made Leyline Tracer and Ancient Machinist into soldiers just so they they would fit into that. I think because when you amplify spells, it increases their cost. So Leyline Tracer becomes huge, and Ancient Machinist becomes a Sentinel. Yes, 
and I think that was a, making them soldiers was a clear signal. Like this is for draft. This is how you. This is how you can make this all work with the draft packs. Yeah, and like I said, since everything is a, a soldier now, yeah, that's, that's what kind of happened with my ducks. Is like I almost didn't even realize I had so much synergy in it. Like I'm like call on allies hits everything in my deck and i didn't even know it yeah it's like yeah basically everything that isn't something else is now a soldier although there are a handful of cards that aren't included like apprentice mage is still just a mage like there's a hand there's there's a bunch of like human cards that aren't soldiers but they get they they seem to have treated some specific sub themes like anything that interacts well with amplify is a soldier now Anything that interacts with stun is a soldier, um, and then also uh, anything with well, some things with muster. I guess not everything because um, because the Kieran, the two four Kieran is a Kieran. So and the Mandrake is a Mandrake, and the Mandrake is a Mandrake. So yeah, so I guess not muster so much, but they did make um, the three five that draws two cards a soldier. Yes. Not sure I'm a believer of that card in this format, but... I don't know how easy muster is to do. There's not a whole lot of spellcraft, and I think there's only one common in, in Empire of Glass that that makes an attachment and a spell at the same time. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. Maybe there's another one, but I, I think Cobra Gear is it. All right. Anywho. And so how are, how are you feeling about this stun sub-theme? I think it's under-supported. I think it's difficult to make it happen. Um... I, like I, I want Frostclaw Rider to be a, a four power five five that's actually much bigger, but it's there's not a lot of stun. There's certainly not a lot of stun available in Empire of Glass, and there's only slightly more in the draft pack. So I think it's hard to make it happen, but I think it's very strong if it does happen. They also made Boulder Gate Guard uh, a soldier, which is which is a little weird because it's an owl, <laughs> but. <laughs> That's the zero three for one justice uh, flyer that uh, gets plus two strength when there's a stunned unit around it, and uh, you know it was always a pretty good card in the last format, and now it's also a soldier, so it uh, so, so just so it can take advantage of soldier stun synergy. Um, but there is one very important card that sort of makes the whole thing work. I think it's going to be drafted very high. Uh, just because it's good the same way that Gerald's Frostkin was good. But Covenant Peacekeeper is a 2-2 for 3 justice that stuns an enemy unit when it comes into play. That's just as good as Frostkin, but a little bit cheaper. Um, Yes. So that's kind of, like, if you get a couple of those, then you've got enough stun going on that maybe you can start building your deck around expecting to be able to stun things. Yeah. I, I think, for me personally, I still wouldn't play the the huru uncommon <laughs> just yet the one which that, is the, the one that three kills huru one. Two, yeah. two that uh can kill a stunned unit um and has yeah Aegis. it does feel like that like it's not consistent enough to be able to actually stun something um it feels like you need a card like water conjuring or even the or even the common that stuns two things like anything that could stun multiple units feels like it would go really well with that card because that you're not just like killing a unit that you've already taken care of for a couple of turns yeah yeah so my advice right now would be like definitely play covenant peacekeeper because it's a 
good card. I don't let it trick you into thinking you're a stun deck all no, of a sudden. No, you need a lot more than that to say, oh, I can consistently stun things and, and actually uh, build off of that. That's true. I guess that contradicts what I said earlier, but I want to believe that it's something that is you can you can do. I mean, you've got you've got access to both Rebuke and Frost, which are both boosted in the draft packs. So there's something there. Yeah, but I think it's a rare archetype to actually like. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to be an archetype. I think it's a sub theme that you you're lucky if it comes together. Anyway, well, it's it's worth mentioning because it was clearly something that they wanted to put some support into, uh, but not as much as the Amplify support. All right, and then um, drawbacks. Well, uh, I have in uh, the drawbacks are that there's two pieces that need to come together again. You need your amplify cards and your units that benefit from amplify. You need your soldiers and the cards that um, that benefit from soldiers. And there's not a lot of cards that are everything in one. There are some, and those are very valuable. Yes. But otherwise, I think Soldiers is really powerful, and then it's just difficult to da- to draft all of the pieces that you need to make it to make it great. Yes, I will say the thing that I like about Soldiers above some of these um, other archetypes is that Soldiers has a, a a lot of common support. Like they're just like a lot of Soldiers, and then Amplify cards also tend to be pretty good. So there are ten Soldiers at common in empire of glass and then i don't know pretty near infinite number of soldiers in the draft packs i should also touch on the fact that um the creative way that they tried to make fixing and playing three factions a little bit easier in this set rather than put direct fixing in they supplied each tribe with a factionless unit um that plunders in yes. order to help fix. And for soldiers, uh, it's the sellsword simulacra, I think. Um, and that's the two one with regen for three uh, that plunders. And that's all it does. But regen is a very strong ability, so it's a good card. And um, it kind of fits into the soldier's uh, curve well and can help you play those three factions. Uh, more importantly, is that soldiers get a bonus that none of the other factions get, which is that Bannerman is a soldier. Uh, <laughs> and Bannerman is like the some of the best fixing, period. Uh, you get your 2-2 two, two for 2, and you get an influence of your choice, and also all the soldier bonuses. Yeah, no, I, I, I've won a game by playing Bannerman on 2, and then call on allies on 3, and then <laughs> yeah. just... Beats them down with the five. I've got a five-five on three. You just make your own barricade basher. Yeah, and guarantee a unit. Uh, my next two draws are units. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, and so, like for Sentinels, it's Okessa's audience. That's the like. Uh, that's the part of this. That's the uh, card from the cycle that is supposed to help Sentinels. And obviously, you can play the soldier in any kind of deck. You can play Okesa's audience in any kind of deck, but Okesa's audience does feel like it's geared to Sentinels because it's a relic, and then it destroys itself, and then it becomes a big Sentinel. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think that whole cycle is really sweet. I think all of those cards are very good. Some are a little bit better than others, but they're all playable. 
Yes. All right, then on to Valkyries. Okay, so Valkyries is where I got a lot of the wins early in this format. Um, maybe just because people didn't realize, hey, flyers are still good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, but they're they're they 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 took me to my first two seven win decks, I think, or something like that. Two of the first three, um, and uh, they're they're in fire, justice, and shadow. Uh, your payoffs for being Valkyries is that they are flyers. <laughs> they're they're cheap flyers. And uh, having evasion is good. Uh, flyers tend to be small for their cost, but then it's hard to stop them. Um, but the cards that actually benefit directly from having Valkyries, uh, some of them have the new ability Valkyrie Warp, where you can, if you have a Valkyrie in play, uh, you can play the Valkyrie Warp card from the top of your deck, and it will get a, a, an additional ability. None of those are at common. Uh, and most of the ones that give you a really big bonus for Valkyrie warping them are rare. Most of the uncommons just give you a small bonus. Although, I guess Sludge Blade is actually a pretty massive bonus, come to think of it. But um, I can, And that is a common. So I would like to walk back everything I just said. <laughs> I've just never seen anyone play a Sludge Blade, so it's only a theory that it would be very good to Valkyrie warp it. No, well, I think one of the... I, I was going to get along this uh, on to this in my my later Patrick is curmudgeonly segment, but like uh-huh. there is very little Valkyrie warp, like you said, at common and uncommon sludge blade being one of them, but it's a double shadow card. Yeah. It, and I know shadows like one of the Valkyrie colors, but like, Deathwing is really the only Shadow Valkyrie that I'm super excited about. Yeah, I think it's the only um I think it's the only Shadow Valkyrie individual card that's any good. I do think and I want to experiment with this in the future that there's an Argentport uh relic weapon based Valkyrie deck that has a lot of potential, but I think it's a little tricky to draft because a lot of the individual cards are kind of weak. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I want to try it at some point, because I do think Sludge Blade is uh, worth experimenting with. It's a 3-3 three, three Relic Weapon for 5 Shadow Shadow, uh, but if you if you Valkyrie Warp it, it's a 4-4 four, four with Deadly. Um, and that's worth trying to play, I think, uh, but it is difficult, because the natural, like the most powerful Valkyries are in are in Justice and, and Fire. And that's when you're drafting Valkyries, it feels like that's it's very hard to play the Shadow Valkyries because they're tiny and individually bad. Uh, so I think that's, I think, I don't know. It's Again, it's something that I want to experiment with. I think there's potential there, but I don't think it's easy. And yeah, Deathwing is one of the only reasons to even go into Shadow. Yeah. And I, and I guess the way I, I would frame it is because I... I did actually draft an Argentport deck that was had a couple Sludge Blades in it. Um, no Deathwing, unfortunately. Um, and I do think that stuff is supported, but it, I feel like making it a Valkyrie deck is hard. You know, it, yeah. it's like a different deck that just happens to have some of the units be Valkyries because so few things... Uh, I feel like Valkyries is the tribe 
that's like so is the most undersupported tribe in the tribal synergy sense. Yes, I absolutely agree. Like the only real payoffs that you get in the draft packs are a couple of cards with Valkyrie ally. Um, and neither one of them is dramatically better if you're playing a bunch of Valkyries. Uh, Tandem Watchwing is the 2-1 flyer for 3 Justice that becomes a 3-2 flyer if you have another Valkyrie. And then Maimed Watchwing is a is a 2-3 uh, for 3 Shadow that can't block. Um, but it, it gets flying if you have another Valkyrie. <laughs> it's not like something to get excited about. So, yeah. Uh, basically, you're just drafting flyers. Exactly. Which uh, is a good strategy. It's, it's just not, bad. not necessarily a Valkyrie. Yeah, and and I do want to say, like, Valkyrie Warp feels very good when it happens, because um, you're 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 drawing a card, and then you get all these bonuses and stuff. Uh, one of the first things that I did in the format was I drafted both Linax and. Uh, and heavy artillery in the same draft. Linax is a 3-3 Valkyrie for uh, uh, two fire and one justice. And every time you play a weapon, it deals uh, the cost of that weapon to any target. And uh, heavy artillery is a 5-1 overwhelm relic weapon. And its Valkyrie warp ability is to put a plus three, plus three weapon on one of your units. Uh, And that weapon costs five. So... The first time I played Linux, <laughs> the very next turn, I I had heavy artillery on the top of my deck and was able to Valkyrie warp it, which means I could do four damage to any target with Linux for the heavy artillery, and then five damage for the weapon that I had just put on her. Um, <laughs> also, I have a five-one relic weapon that I just drew from the top of my deck, uh, and now I have a six-six flyer. And then my opponent just immediately conceded. <laughs> yeah. But they're both rares. <laughs> so it's not like you can aim to draft that deck or, or try to replicate it in any way. There's no substitute for those cards. Exactly. Um, and there's also not a ton of weapons in this current format, I would say. No, they're, they're mostly in the draft packs, almost entirely, actually. And there are a bunch in the draft packs. You know, you can get a Crown Watch uh, Longsword. You can get um, whatever the one that was the plague on the last format. The 1-3 that gives you uh, justice influence. Yeah, there's the... And then there's the... The 3 Shadow 2-1 with Quick Draw. Yep. Um, and then there's the 2-2 Relic Weapon. Um, and then also you have in your... Uh, in your... Um, Empire Flask Packs, you have Gravity Gloves, which is the um, which is the uh, relic weapon that starts as a 1-1 one, one for 1, but then every 2 that you amplify it, it gets plus 1, plus 1. Uh, so it's never a great relic weapon, but it's always kind of what you would expect, like 3 power for a 2-2 two, two relic weapon is fine, 5 for a 3-3 three, three is fine, and you get all of that flexibility. And then if you bring it back with Oni Hybrid, um, it retains its bonus that it got from its Amplify, so you can make it even bigger. So I think it's actually an inherent part of the Valkyrie deck. Yes. Um, yeah, and so, like we said, one of the nice things about Valkyries is there's uh, eight of them at common in set 10, nine of them in the draft packs. Um, 
So there are a lot of Valkyries. The Valkyries are plentiful. I think one of the drawbacks is that even though there's a lot of them, they're not it's they're not super synergistic. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you don't get a huge reward for collecting a bunch of them in one deck. Um, unless you get one of those rare cards um, or, or, a, or a couple of them, and then it's probably worth getting as many Valkyries as you can just because those rare cards will win you the game. Cards like Heavy Artillery, then there's another weapon. There's a few things that would justify really going Valkyries, but because they're rares, it's not going to happen that often. Yes. And then um, even more so than ramp strategies, uh, warp strategies really require you to draw your cards in the right order. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way to put your cards back in your deck in a particular order um, right now. So <laughs> you're going to have to draw things when when you need them somehow. So it's a very sort of you know high-wire act of a strategy. Uh, you can never count on Valkyrie Warp to happen when you want it to. Yes. And then um, the units are small, so you can units. lose races. Yep. Yeah, you're gonna lose to a, you're gonna lose to the barricade basher deck for sure. Mm -hmm. So maybe I, play play your own. I don't know. Yeah, I I will say though that they are small, but like you said, flyers are flyers, and I've won plenty of games this format just hitting. Uh, you know with Two to four one one uh, Valkyries that I got from Steyr's Beckoning or whatever the card yeah. is called. Yeah, the one that makes two Valkyries, two one one Valkyries. Yeah. 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 You just keep attacking in the air and and make a few chump blocks on the ground, and you can just win win games like that without doing anything fancy. Yes. All right, shall we move on to Grenadines? This is probably the archetype I have the least experience with. And I've drafted it a bunch, so I can talk about it with a certain amount of confidence. Although I haven't done a lot with Primal. I've mostly done Stone Scar Grenadines. Um, but Grenadines are... Oh, you know, and one thing I should mention, too, is that if you are, in, if you are trying for Valkyrie Synergies and you're playing Fire, uh, that's the new faction for Valkyries. There weren't Valkyries in Fire before this set, so the draft packs aren't going to give you any. Um, you, you'll, uh, Valkyries were only in Justice and Shadow before, so you just kind of have to plan around that. Um, but since you're unlikely to be going for Valkyrie Synergy specifically anyway, uh, it's not as much of a problem as it is with Sentinels. So, Granadins. Uh, it's in Menace Colors. Uh, Fire, Primal, Shadow... Um, and uh, in this case, Grenadines are in Primal for the first time. So in your draft packs, you're not going to get any Primal Grenadines, uh, which is uh, worth planning ahead for. And is one of the reasons why I haven't really done a lot of Primal Grenadine drafting, because I know that the draft packs are going to make that difficult. Uh, anyway, your pay the Grenadines are one of the best supported format, uh, one of the best supported tribes since the beginning of eternal you can almost all you've been able to draft grenadines i think in every set <laughs> and there's been some reward for it um your the themes are that grenadines tend to be very small but they give you some kind of value when they die so sacrificing them is usually a good idea so a grenadine deck will have small units that want to be sacrificed and ways to sacrifice them for value uh 
now, right now, some of your rewards are Roto Scavenger, which we talked about before, the 2-1 Decay that grows and then also pings things with a, with a Decay shot um, if you sacrifice a Grenadine. And uh, there's Grub Bot, which is an interesting uncommon. Uh, it's a 3-fire primal 2-2 two -two, um, that says whenever one of your Grenadines hits the enemy player, create and draw a treasure trove. And if Grubbot hits the enemy player, all of your treasure troves cost only one until the end of the turn. Very powerful card, but kind of difficult to make work, in my opinion. There's Cyber Combustion, which is a very cool card um, that lets you sacrifice uh, sacrifice one of your units to deal three damage to all non-Grenadin units. Um, and then uh, there's <laughs> Blight Petal, which I've never seen anyone actually play and I don't know how to make it work, but it is uh, a 3-3 three, three for 3 Primal Shadow. Um, I should have had that in front of me because it is another card with a whole novel on it. Yeah, it's a 3-3 three, three, um, for 3 Felm. And for each unit you sacrifice, your units have plus 1 attack this turn and your spells deal plus 1 damage yeah. this turn. Uh, yeah, which... when you had this on the list, I assumed you were going to like... Tell me the secret behind this card. <laughs> I think that there's something there, but it is so strangely supported. Uh, there's all of there. There's nods to increasing spell damage in Grenadines here because one of your commons uh, is a is a four power um, three three that increases spell damage by one. It's specifically a Grenadine, um, and one of your other commons is a one one for one primal that when it dies plays a snipe which is a spell that does one damage those two cards go together and blight pedal goes with them but how to make all of that work together get enough spells and enough spell damage and also be playing grenadines i don't know but i the secret is blight pedal <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not so again i'm just kind of it's kind of conjecture for how any of the primal stuff works into this because there are some powerful cards grubbot is a powerful card cyber combustion is a powerful card blight pedal is a weird card but potentially powerful uh but i don't know how to make it work it's something that i'm gonna have to experiment with um and then two classics which are scrap hound which is the one one for one fire uh pay four to sacrifice another unit to give it plus two plus two or if you've sacrificed a Grenadine, give it plus five, plus five. Um, and then Powder Keg Rider is uh, is the one that says if a Grenadine dies, it gets. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, it's uh, it's a three four for five fire uh, that gets plus four strength and overwhelm um, when a Grenadine dies. Uh, and I think that's an underrated card. I've heard a lot of people say that they don't like it, but I've noticed when I play a Powder Keg Rider and I have Grenadines on board. Suddenly, my Grenadines are getting in for a whole lot of damage because <laughs> nobody wants to see the Powder Keg Rider grow. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, I think that card... And actually, the card in... These two are related in my mind. The the Sentinel I talked about before, the 4-cost four 4-2 four that gains plus 1, plus 1, um, and Overwhelm. Both of those cards are cards that when I'm drafting, I'm just like, oh, these cards look so medium. And I never really want to pick them or put them in my deck. 
And then whenever my opponent plays them, I'm like, this card is such a problem. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do in this situation. Yeah, you got to listen to that. when you're. It's, it's, it's one of the best ways to accurately rate cards is how sad you are when your opponent plays them. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, how much trouble does this card give you? And then rank it accordingly. Yeah, exactly. And I... I I think uh, Powder Keg Rider has a little bit of that going. Because when you just see, you're like a five cost three, four. I don't know about this. Yeah. And man, Overwhelm is just such good text. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I think it's, I think Powder Keg Rider is in a really good spot in this, in this particular format too, because you can draft Grenadines pretty easily. Um, and then it, the question of what your top end is in that deck is is sometimes difficult to answer and riders just a really good answer to that like what are you going to do at the end well you want to have your seven four overwhelm because you've done a little bit of chip damage with your uh Grenadins, and now you need to do the remaining damage with something that has a little bit more heft to it so so rider's good for that um also shoulder dredger is good for that because your Grenadins are going to the void anyway and your shoulder dredger which is a nine nine power. Uh, sorry, it costs nine shadow and it's a seven six, but it costs one less for each unit in your void. Uh, if you're sending Grenadines to the void all willy nilly, Shouldredger uh, is a really good way to follow up. Yeah, though I will say, just about any deck wants a Shouldredger. Well, no, Shouldredger is just a good card. It's just very good in Grenadines. Yes. and 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 also discard, obviously. But it's always a good card. Childreader is, is is one of the defining cards of the format too. I think. Yes. Anywho, right. um, uh, one of the best ways to sacrifice them right now, as we have discussed, is Grizzly Contest and Combust, which are both available in the draft packs. Really good. Um, there's uh, uh, it, it kind of plays like it always did, really, except for this weird primal aspect to it. So uh, I'll explore that. But right now. Uh, there's a ton of one drops um, that you can put in your Stone Scar Grenadine deck um, that are that are good and playable. And uh, I have now posted in the Discord two Stone Scar Grenadine decks that are only playing 15 power, the absolute minimum, because there's so much strength in just my one and two drops um, that I didn't need anything else to to make it a good deck. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so one question I have is, so what do you think about the the Grenadine um, colorless card? That's, I think, the weakest of the five, but it has potential. That's the raccoon. Um, <laughs> I know it's a raccoon, but I don't remember the actual name of it because it's such a nondescript name. Uh, Junk Obstructor, uh, which is a Grenadine vermin, a 1-1 one, one for 1, factionless, with Berserk and Plunder. Uh, the fact that it has Berserk means that it potentially does a huge amount of damage with cards like Side Slash um, and the 4-4 four, four Uncommon Sentinel that gives plus attack power equal to its own strength. Uh, so I wouldn't underestimate it, but I do think that there are so many good one-power options for Grenadines that Junk Obstructor can get cut. Um, but if I were trying to do three-faction Grenadines and like really go in on some of the more powerful um, 
cards uh, and try to get a lot of synergy going that I'd probably play Junk Obstructor to make that easier just because Plunder is a powerful ability on a 1-1. Um, and there's things like, you know, if you, if you manage to... If you manage to attack uh, on your opponent's empty board with a junk obstructor and you've just played a grub bot, then obstructor gets to hit twice, you know, and then draw two treasure chests. It's their treasure troves, rather. Um, you know, there's some little synergies there, uh, but I think it's more difficult to make it work than than the other four, for sure. Yes. Yeah, and I think that um, Grenadines are of all of these synergy decks are kind of the w- ones where it's both, um, it's like the easiest to just get a lot of Grenadines. And then also because a lot of the payoff cards aren't really asking for anything specific. They're just asking that you have Grenadines, you know, like cyber combustion. It's like, you just need a Grenadine that you don't care about. And then, all your other cards don't die as long as they're Grenadines, as compared to, like, Soldiers, where there's a lot of Soldiers, but then there's this weird, like, the the Soldiers do better with Amplify cards, but the Amplify cards aren't necessarily um, Grenadine, and there's only specific Soldiers that really want you to Amplify, and so there's, like, weird, a little bit of a weird tension there, while Grenadines, I feel like, doesn't have that at all. It's just... No, not at all. No, Grenadines sacrifice Grenadines. Yeah, it's... (laughs) They all all fit together. Uh, I should say about Cyber Combustion that I read the card wrong the first time I saw it, and I thought you had to sacrifice a Grenadine. You know, you could sacrifice any unit. It's just that your Grenadines don't take damage from it. Right. Exactly. It's it's unusual. It's unusual in that sense, because usually a card says... You, if you sacrifice a Grenadine, you get this extra bonus, whereas this is the opposite, where you can sacrifice anything, but yeah, your you Grenadines can, are safe. You can sacrifice the unit that would have died to Cyber Combustion. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, and then, um, like I said, they are very plentiful. There's uh, seven Grenadine in the in set 10, um, and then nine in the draft packs, all at common, so... Uh, yeah, there's enough to go around, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and uh, really, your only your only drawbacks of playing Grenadines is that your individual cards are pretty small. So um, if your opponents can do whatever their deck is designed to do, like if you give them that time, then you can definitely fall behind. Um, yeah. But I, I think... Right now, unless I learn more about the format to contradict this, I think Stone Scar Grenadines especially is one of the strongest archetypes that you can draft. Yeah, and I think that's really good advice because, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I do think like one of the advantages of this deck is because your unit quality is so low. It's these are a lot of these cards are not cards that are getting snatched up. Right. You get all the cards you need if you go into it, usually. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall we move on to Mandrakes? Yep. Just remember, Razorbot and Laser Blast together kills anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's move on to Mandrakes. So, Mandrakes was never, uh, Mandrakes were never a tribe that had um, a specific mechanical theme tying them together before. I think that, that Mandrakes, even being a tribe, um, 
one of the five main tribes in this set was a surprise to me. <laughs> I think it's safe to say. Uh, so it is also the hardest one for me to get a handle on, I think, uh, because of that, but also for some other reasons, which uh, I think everyone notices when they try to draft Mandrakes, and we will get into. They are the Time Primal Shadow uh, tribe. Um, the payoffs that you get from it are cards that uh, specifically uh, make Mandrakes better um, by giving them plus one strength, usually. Uh, Shambling Sapsucker is one. Uh, that's a two-time, uh, two-two. That um, when you, whenever you transform a card with, for example, Plunder, all your Mandrakes get plus one strength and decay. Uh, you've got your Root Ripper, which I talked about before, um, which transforms any other unit into a three-three Mandrake, and then when it attacks, all of your Mandrakes get plus one strength and Overwhelm. Your uh, Venomous Nightshade, uh, which is the three-time shadow, 3-3, uh, three, three, and when um, whenever a unit, whenever one of your uni units, ugh, whenever one of your units uses its ultimate ability, all of your Mandrakes get plus one strength and deadly. So there's a theme. <laughs> um, and then Invasive Creeper, uh, that's the 2-2 that's the, uh, with 2-2 uh, two, two for three shadow. Um, and whenever any of your uh, units use their ultimate ability, all of your Mandrakes get plus one strength and lifesteal. Oh, I left off some text from Venomous Nightshade because it makes no sense and doesn't need to be there. But when you gain life while Venomous Nightshade is in play, you get to make a little a little seed. <laughs> Just a free Mandrake. Yes. And it also then the mandrake then get the little seed then gets plus one attack and deadly yes well does it immediately do that i've never actually seen it happen yes oh it's because... its ultimate yeah so it happens in that order you get the little seed and then it gets deadly yes that's crazy so venomous nightshade is obviously a very powerful card yeah um so some of these are some of the best uncommons in the set potentially right like the venomous nightshade is really good root ripper very good and then the king of them is shoal stirrings uh which is the uh which is a spell uh five shadow shadow when you draw it all of the units in your void get plus two strength permanently um and then when you cast it uh you put two mandrakes from your void directly into play uh i think shoal stirrings is one of the main reasons to get into mandrakes because it specifically says mandrakes on it <laughs> and it is a very strong card uh it's a i mean it's a it's a card that immediately plays two units from your void, <laughs> and they probably have plus two strength from when you drew the card. Like, they don't always, but sometimes they do. Um, I, I feel like it's hard to lose a game that you've cast Shoal Stirrings in. Yes. I agree. <laughs> so the question is, uh, what's, what's, what's the theme with Mandrakes? What is, what's their actual theme? Because all of the Mandrakes give each other plus one strength when the thing happens. Uh, even uh, Pollen Sprayer, which is the common Mandrake, uh, it's a 1-5 for four time. And whenever anybody, whenever an ultimate ability, whenever you use an ultimate ability, all of your units get plus one strength. Uh, so mostly they're about ultimate abilities. And several of them have ultimate abilities, which helps with that. Because then you can, you're not cobbling together 
cards that do like two cards that do two different things and hoping that they happen at the same time because uh, there will be one card that does both. Um, but also they have this transform thing. Uh, and the the shambling sapsucker doesn't really even seem to fit into what the others are doing because it's the only mandrake, I think, unless I'm missing something, that activates on a transform. And then Venomous Nightshade has this lifesteal thing tacked onto it. And then also mandrakes seem to like it when you play discard. <laughs> 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 because Shoal Dredger wants you to have a bunch of units in your void. Um, then Darkwater Vines, which is sort of the marquee one power, uh, one uh, marquee one drop for the Mandrakes, uh, is an incredibly complicated card for a one drop. It's a 1-1 one, one with regen for one shadow. Its ultimate ability is when anybody discards a card, it gets plus one strength. And then both of both players discard the top four cards of their deck, or is it the bottom, bottom cards. four cards? The bottom four cards of their deck. Um, so it's a card with an ultimate ability that activates on discard and then discards more. <laughs> it's just, it goes really well with the other Mandrakes. Um, but, oh man, that thing is, was hard to evaluate when I first saw it. I didn't, even, I didn't know what it was or how to play with it. Uh, now it's one of my favorite cards. Yes. Yeah, for me, pros and mandra- mandrakes are Darkwater Vines, really good. Shoal Dredger, really good card. Yeah. Cons is... Everything is at uncommon, besides for those two cards. That is really, really good. Yeah. And so there, this deck is like, of all five of these archetypes the most uncommon based i think yeah it doesn't really do anything at all um unless you get the uncommons that's true and also it's the least supported of the archetypes in the draft packs because mandrakes were never a thing before and all the ultimate abilities that you want in the draft packs are not mandrakes right yeah Um, yeah they're things like grave watch ancestor uh, the zero four that ultimates for two to create an influence of your choice. Yeah. Uh, there's not very many of them, frankly. There's not that many cards that have an ultimate ability at all in the draft packs. Yeah. Certainly not very many in common. So, so this deck, I think, is the sweet. Like the, I think the best Mandrake decks are going to feel like constructed decks. Like yeah. You're, like you were talking about, but it just seems very hard to do. Um, yeah, I think it's risky to take a Venomous Nightshade first pick because the the chances that you'll be able to actually make the Mandrake deck are slim. Um, but again, if, you want, if you're the kind of drafter that wants to take risks and just say, you know what, like if I do end up in Mandrake's Venomous Nightshade, it's going to be absolutely absurd. You know, go ahead and draft that way. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to. Yeah. And I mean, and then to put the numbers in context, like we have with the other tribes, like there are only three mandrakes in the draft packs at common. There are actually only six mandrakes in set ten at common. Right. So it's just very hard in general to get them. And then some of those six mandrakes that are in set ten are like a little weird, 
and don't even really support the theme, you know, like, like Shoal Dredger is a very good card in a Mandrake, but it doesn't really have an ultimate ability. There's the, the five primal primal um, four, four with regen and reckless that plunders like, that's kind of a, a weird card to be a Mandrake because it's not really doing anything Mandrakes <laughs> want to be doing. No, but it does satisfy the transform ability for the for the other Mandrake, so that's yeah. a small thing that it does. Yeah, so there's just like a lot of a weird things with Mandrakes for me. And the man and because Mandrakes never really had a mechanical identity before, uh, the draft pack man. Mandrakes only somewhat go with the rest of what you're doing with your Mandrake deck. The the Mandrakes that stand out are are ones that benefit from some kind of a discard strategy. Yes. Uh, the Rose Bloom, uh, which is the uh, the six six with overwhelm. Wait, is that right? The six six with overwhelm that costs eight, but it only costs two if your opponent has at least ten cards in their void. Yes. Yeah, and then there's the 4-4 four, four, uh, in Shadow uh, that is just a 4-4 four, four for 6, unless your opponent has um, ten, at least 10 cards in their void, and then it has Lifesteal and Unblockable. I will say, though, that card is maybe the best it's ever been. Yeah, uh, I agree. Just because so many people are discarding cards into their void and doing weird things. So I would play that if I'm a Shadow deck and not and don't have Mandrakes. I, yeah, uh yeah and especially uh especially with um the card that we just talked about a million times uh the the one drops that mandrake um dark water vines uh especially with dark water vines as a common uh, as a playable common that dumps four cards into into your opponent's deck all by itself uh that makes it pretty easy to get up to 10 yeah and then there's the weird one, the the time muster, which is the right. five cost, uh, five time four four, and then it gains plus four plus four in endurance if you muster. Yeah. Like it's a mandrake, but it's super hard to also put attachments in your mandrake deck. <laughs> yes, and With that's all of one the of other one balls of the that three. you're juggling. I'm gonna also play some relics. What are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. So Mandrix is a weird a weird one. It's one that I'm I'm not super excited. I'm I will be very excited if I ever draft a great Mandrix deck, but I'm kind of steering a little clear of it as of now. So because I did draft a seven win um, Mandrix deck, deck today, I feel a little bit more confident in it. I think there's a few cards that make the whole thing work. Um, I think Darkwater Vines is pretty important because it does have an over an ultimate ability and discard, and so it contributes towards two of the Mandrake themes. Um, and there's a handful of other cards that are like that, and the most important one is the factionless uh, Mandrake, uh, the, which is a, a three three with decay, a good ability for four, and and uh, it doesn't plunder when it comes into play. I don't know if this is the only unit that's ever been like this where the plunder wasn't a summon ability, but you actually uh, pay one to plunder. But it's actually a very good design because you want to be with, if you are playing with the, uh, with the Mandrake that activates off of transform, then you want to be able to plunder uh, 
whenever you want and not like only when you summon the unit. And also, uh, it feels really good to be able to play a unit with a plunder ability and not necessarily plunder any of the cards that are currently in your hand, but just wait until you draw a sigil that you don't want and turn it into a treasure trove. Yeah. So Man Mandrake Simula Simulacrum is... Um, it has an ultimate ability, which is the that plunder ability. Uh, it plunders, which satisfies the transform thing. Uh, and it is a Mandrake. So it kind of makes uh, a lot of the Mandrake abilities work. Yeah, weirdly, now that you mention it, it almost makes me wish that the the five-cost Primal one did the same thing, which would seem like it would be a worse card, but just having more ultimate abilities. Yeah, yeah, giving that thing an ultimate ability would make it a lot better for the Mandrake deck. Yeah. But it doesn't. <laughs> it just has Reckless and Reach in. <laughs> um... I don't think it's a good card. I'm usually, I usually don't lose to the to the reckless mandrake. Uh, as hard as it is to kill, you just don't care about it. Yeah, I I agree. Um, all right, so I think that was a pretty good summary of all five of the tribal archetypes. Um, I think as as this is a new format, we're going to continue to break down different aspects of it, talk about it. We have. Uh, long time with set 10 ahead of us so um, yeah. So, yeah and i think there's a lot to explore here um i think that there are enough themes there's like the there's the themes that are very well supported but then there's also enough like weird little themes like stun and you know uh mandrakes <laughs> um, that <laughs> that uh that you can that, that, like, if you start getting bored uh, just drafting stone scar decks and winning with them, I think that there's a lot of power hidden in other uh, parts of the set. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. I I know that uh, a lot of people lo loved the last format, and I was probably in the minority that didn't like it. Um, but 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 this one has me excited because there's just the 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 way that it works just seems to to suit me and i dig how many different directions they seem to try to tackle at once i think that it it borders on having too many themes that they're trying to support i think that's absolutely true which is why some of them feel so sort of anemic and maybe like maybe don't do stun this time it's fine skip it for a set uh but um the fact that they that you that discard is a theme, so you're playing with the void. Uh, the market is a theme, so you're playing with the market. Um, and all of these tribal synergies are just little things tacked on to otherwise playable units. Means um, that you can really draft decks where the cards are interconnected in a lot of interesting ways. So it's not so much this is my curve um and i i have the most power in on each level of my curve and i'm either an aggro deck or like a, a control deck it's more that your cards are, are are interrelated in a whole web of connections um and i i guess i can see how that would uh feel a little bit too complex 
for for uh, for some players, but I I really dig it, and I'm I'm looking forward to 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 playing a lot of this format. I don't know if I needed to do that, but I felt like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to have the hats of old back. That's all I can say. Oh God, it wasn't an accident. I wasn't just burned out. <laughs> I really hated that last format. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think that's our show here. Um, thank you again to all of you for making the show a success. <laughs> and for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And uh, give a thumbs up to all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. And don't forget to send in all your decks, uh, seven win decks you do this week, to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. Goodbye. Cool. Stop recording.